we are looking at Revelation chapter 2. We'll pray, and then we'll look at the passage. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we ask uh, that as we look at the church of Smyrna, this, the second of the seven churches, uh, Lord, I, um, I don't really feel worthy to go into this passage uh, t- to consider what these believers went through uh, many years ago. Uh, Lord, I do pray that as we look at this suffering church, this church that uh, faced persecution that, that we simply cannot understand, um, that you would encourage us by their example, that you would comfort us in our own anguish and suffering, um, just knowing that you're there for us. Father, I pray that you would help us to, to feel and understand the weight of what these believers were going through um, as we study this passage today. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who is dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until the end and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the freedom that we have to gather here, not fearing for our lives, not hiding, but announcing to our community that we are here, that we can freely publish when and where we meet and we welcome strangers in. So Father, this passage really is foreign to us. And even though it's foreign to us, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, help us to understand what is being said here, that we would find comfort in your words, that we would be prepared uh, for a day that we might face ourselves uh, facing persecution, that we would be able to stand strong in Christ. Lord, help us to value you above all else. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Amen. I have um, found myself very surprised with how worshipful I have found my study in Revelation. I find myself getting emotional, like last night talking through today's passage with Anna. I found myself getting choked up. I'm like, ah, not two weeks in a row. Come on, man. Like, today's passage is difficult. Um, It's the second church of the seven churches found in chapters 2 and 3. Last week, we looked at the church in Ephesus. Uh, To remember that week, it was remember, repent, and repeat, sort of to to remember uh, their first love, to remember Jesus and what he did for them, uh, to repent of their kind of wandering from him. Um, It wasn't that they were doing good religious things. They were doing all the good Christian things. But their hearts had drifted from Jesus. And he says, you know, remember upon when you first met me, repent of your drifting and repeat the deeds that you did at first. Today, we look at Smyrna. Um, It's one of only two churches of the seven churches that there's no criticism by Jesus. This church and Philadelphia are the only two in these seven churches that simply get attaboys from Christ. Um, I'm I'm arguing with myself right now. (laughs) I've I've shared with you guys openly that I'm, once we get to chapter four, I'm not sure how I'm going to handle it. So this week I have a new idea. (laughs) And I think that we're going to break at the end of chapter three and we're going to study the book of Daniel and then we're going to resume our study in Revelation after Daniel. And the reason for that is, 
is because you need to understand Daniel to understand the middle part of Revelation. And so if I have to study it to teach it, I figure we might as well all study it together so that we all have the foundation. But that's just today. So we'll see what happens this week, you know. I have until chapter 4, verse 1 to make up my mind. And so uh, that's why I was like, do I tell him or not? Um, so today's passage, it's only four verses. Verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. You could outline it in this way. The first verse deals with that Jesus is bigger than death. The second verse is that Jesus knows his people and their suffering. The third verse, or verse 10, Jesus calls his people to be faithful unto death. The fourth verse, verse 11, is that Jesus promises his people life. Um, In 2010, I found myself in Mongolia visiting the Mannings. Uh, The Mannings are now in Arizona, but before Arizona, they found themselves in Mongolia, reaching the Mongolian people with new tribes. And so I went there uh, to spend some time with them, to encourage them, to see what they were doing, and, and just, just to spend time with them. And I traveled all over the world up to that point, but I had never been to the remotest part of the earth. <laughs> and Mongolia is the remotest part of the world. Like, and maybe you can, we can argue about Antarctica. You might, like Antarctica, maybe the North Pole, maybe there's some places that compare, but Mongolia is the outer, outermost place that I've ever, ever been. And I spent two weeks there, and one of the nights I've talked about, um, Josh said, hey, we're our team, which is New Tribes Mission for the whole country of Mongolia. We're having a going away party for a couple that's been here for 30 years or however long. They've built this compound, and so we're we're, we're coming to just uh, have, a, have like a celebration. And so I thought, hey, it sounds fun. And so we show up, the whole team uh, com- was, I don't remember the actual numbers, but we're talking maybe four to six families. And it was in this sort of warehouse. And we got together. It, was, it didn't seem like a party to me. I mean, they, were, they, they clearly were bonded and they were reflecting on their time and it came to the point where, like, Josh and his guitar was sort of like halfway strumming songs, like, hey, somebody give me a song and we'll see if we can figure it out. And so we sang about four or five songs, about maybe a quarter to a halfway through each one. And one of the songs that we sang was Jesus Paid It All. And as we were singing this, I broke down like a total, ba- like, like, just, I mean, tears snot, uncontrollable. I covered my face trying to like go get a hold of yourself, Gunner. And I was so overwhelmed being in the presence of these saints who I didn't feel worthy to be in their presence. Yeah, I made a two-week trip to Mongolia, but there were people there that are still there that have given 30 years of their life to try to reach these people with the gospel. And all I remember is sitting there weeping, thinking, Lord, how would you allow me to be in these people's presence? Like, I don't know suffering. I don't know sacrifice. I don't know what these people are going to. And why are they so inviting to me and Richard to to participate in this experience with them? I should should have, Josh should have said, you need to stay back at the apartment because we have like a It's a closed group sort of meeting, but that's not what they did, of course. And so today I come to this passage and I find myself having the same feeling. This is a letter from Jesus to this church in Smyrna, and we're going to read this letter, and I don't think that we have any right participating in this with them. Now, of course, this letter is written to them, and it's to all of the churches. In verse 11, we see that it is applicable to us. But we in America, we don't know suffering. We don't know persecution. That doesn't mean that we won't be persecuted. That doesn't mean that we won't find ourselves in suffering. That doesn't mean that there's not application for us within this letter 
But when I read and study this letter, I feel that I'm on holy ground, an area like stealing somebody else's mail because there's an ointment to this section that if you were facing death, persecution, real persecution, there's something in here that we are, we, like, we're going to have a hard time receiving it. And so we start with verse 8, that Jesus is bigger than death. And we read, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, so I have a slide here. I've updated the slide. I, um, I appreciate people's feedback. I've, uh, no, no, go back. Go back, please. Um, so there's, so visual aids. There's two rules of visual aids. They need to be visual and they need a, and they need an aid. <laughs> so the previous slide was visual, but it wasn't aiding because you couldn't really make it out. And so there's an app that's in the bulletin. You can go to Faithlight app if you have a, uh, a smartphone or, or whatever, um, you can download the app, and as we present stuff here, it'll show it to you on your phone. Um, but I changed out the map, so, and I have the pointer to make it really official, so that over here we have Israel. There's Jerusalem, the Dead Sea over here. We have modern-day Turkey. We have the boot of Italy. We have Greece right here. And in this red circle is where the seven churches are located. So now we can go to the next slide. And we're zooming in on that circle. And so down here, there's a little red circle. That's the island that John was exiled to. And then you have the seven churches. You can see the roads that go around the Roman roads so that as we read, this is how you would deliver the letters. Oh, I missed one down there. Um, So this is the map. Hopefully it's more visual. You can see that Smyrna, it is in a bay. It's, there's a bay that goes in there. It was a very, very beautiful city. Of all of the churches in the book of Revelation, it is the only city that is actually still a city today. Um, it's the birthplace of Homer, not Simpson, but the writer, <laughs> just to be clear, um, Polycarp, who is a disciple of John, who is the author, is believed to be the angel. It was believed that he shepherded this congregation until he was burned alive at the stake. Um, pos- like that he would be the recipient of this letter and that he would be burned at the stake just kind of says a lot. Um, The town was known for producing myrrh, you know, frankincense and myrrh. Um, That's Smyrna. That's where they get it from. It was, and the irony that some people, that it's it's this fragrance to cover up death. And this church was facing death and persecution. Um, As I said already, it's one of the only two churches that has no criticism of Jesus in the book of Revelation. He continues in verse 8, and he says, The first and the last, speaking of Jesus, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, he is first over all, who is dead and who has come to life. I've said it, that in each of the seven letters, it starts with a description of Jesus. They all go back to chapter 1, the description, and it's like they pick up a stone And in one section, it'll describe Jesus like this, but then they'll rotate the stone a little bit in the second church, and they'll describe Jesus like a different way. So in Ephesus, we see that Jesus, the one with the stars in his right hand, said he was walking amongst the lampstands, which are the churches. If we were to go back to chapter 1 and read verses 17 through 18, John says, When I saw him and fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. And so that's the angle that the church of Smyrna gets. He says, I was dead and I've come to life. Speaking of the revelation, uh, it's like Jesus is saying to them, I've been persecuted too. I've been beaten, 
I've been mocked. I've been scourged. I've been executed just like you guys. But I've been raised from the dead. And the resurrection changes everything. This, this is the jugular vein of Christianity. Without the resurrection, we have nothing. And Jesus tells them, I was dead. I've come to life. And if you turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 4.15, hold your place in Hebrews. Like, I mean, hold your place in Revelation, but also don't lose the book of Hebrews. It's kind of, Hebrews is one of those books that always is hard for me to find. So, but over in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the author of Hebrews speaks of Jesus in this way. He says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. So hold your place in Hebrews. I did that kind of intentionally. Just bookmark it. We'll come back to Hebrews later today. So Jesus says, I've been persecuted. I was executed. I've come back to life. And the suffering that you're going through, I can identify with you. I understand I am bigger than death and you can trust me and I'm here to minister to you. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So point number two, Jesus knows his people and their suffering. He says three things about them that we learn about the persecution that they're under. They're under great tribulation, they have great poverty, and they're being blasphemed. So tribulation, this isn't like little tribulation, Um, Some render this as uh, afflictions, Um, but but this is a extensive, horrible tribulation. You know, John opens the letter of Revelation with, I'm your fellow partaker in tribulation. He was exiled to an island in his 90s, basically breaking up, uh, uh, what do you call it, marble, the heavy stuff, a prison camp. These saints were under tremendous persecution. This, this uh, word for poverty, this isn't just like they can't afford uh, Starbucks three times a week. This is like their, the basic necessities of life are unavailable, unavailable to them, poverty. Think extreme third world country. Um, and he says, you experience blasphemy by this synagogue of Satan. And, and blasphemy, I, in my research this week, some of the accusations against Christians, followers of Christ during this era, number one, that they were cannibals because do this in remembrance of me. Remember his body and the blood that was shed. And so they had these uh, lies that were spread that they were cannibals, that they were eating of dead people that they practice incest because greet your brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. They would have love feasts, not incest. Um, They were accused of being insurrectionists, meaning that they wanted to revolt against Rome because they wouldn't bow down to Caesar, which led to the most funny of all of the blasphemy that they were accused of is that they were accused of being atheists because they refused to to call Caesar Lord. And so they had all of these things being said about them. This this persecution was great. Uh, Charles Swindoll uh, writes a colorful image. He says, imagine yourself sitting amongst the gathering of God's people in Smyrna on a cold morning before sunrise. A small lamp-lit room houses the remnant of beaten and beleaguered church members. The once lively crowd of Christians now displays obvious gaps where men and women once sat. Some have fallen away under persecution. Others are simply gone, arrested, exiled, or executed. Some of you risked your lives just to meet this morning to pray, to sing hymns to God, and to read from the Holy Scripture. All of you are outcasts, desperate for a word of encouragement from the messenger sitting in your midst. 
In the dim light, the pastor unrolls a scroll and begins to read with a calm, quiet confidence. Whispering and shuffling in the room ceases when you hear from whom the message comes, the risen Christ himself. The entire group seems to hold its breath when Christ begins his commendation. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. So these people are destitute. They have nothing. And in the midst of their nothingness, the the basic necessities of life, Jesus inserts, but you are rich. This is the spiritual riches of Christ. That if you have salvation through trusting in Christ, you have everything. James Hamilton, in his commentary, he describes it in this way. We who have the wealth which Jesus speaks are like a poor man boarding the Titanic. We watch all the bejeweled people of wealth and fashion and etiquette and connection pass us by without so much as a nod of courtesy because all we brought on board the ship that will sink in the night is a small, seemingly worthless lifeboat. Brothers and sisters, we are rich because what we have, that which will save us for life and for unto eternity. And so here these people have everything even though they have nothing. And Jesus says you're facing severe tribulation, you have extreme poverty, you're being talked against, you're being maligned, but you have everything in Christ. This whole blaspheme by those who say they are Jews but are a synagogue of Satan we could spend a lot of time here. This, this isn't re- replacement theology. Back in Romans 2, ver- the 28 through 30, the very end of Romans chapter 2, Paul talks about not all are Jews who are descended from Jews. They, they circumcise the flesh, but, but following Christ, it means to have a circumcised heart that you're transformed by the living God. And so he says, just because these guys are religious and the warning to us is just because you're religious doesn't make you righteous. And so they're forcing all kinds of persecution upon these brothers and sisters. And Jesus says, do not fear, verse 10. And Jesus calls his people, point number three, to be faithful and unto death. Um, back in chapter one, verse 17, when John sees this great image, he falls down as a dead man in terror of the image of Christ that he sees. The disciples, after the death of Christ, when he rose, but they hadn't seen him yet, they're locked in their upper room. They're fearful of the Jews. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them. They're gripped with fear and terror. In all of these cases, Jesus touches them and says, Shalom, my peace be with you. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. There's a whole lot, like my notes on verse 10 are dwell on these verses. There's so much here. Do not fear because I'm going to take away all your pain and sorrow. Do not fear because I'm going to take away your poverty and make you wealthy and wise and you will not be sick and you won't die and you'll, you will live in a cotton ball where nothing can hurt you. I don't know if a cotton ball will protect you, but like you're not going to be insulated Not only are you not insulated, it's going to get really, really bad. But he says, don't fear. Midway through, we see a so that you'll be tested. We we see that in Jesus' sovereignty of all things, he's going to allow his followers to experience the most horrific persecution and execution that you could possibly imagine. And he says, you're going to go through this to be tested, to be tried to be refined. We as Christians in the West like to remove any uncomfort and, and try to get out from anything that's uncomfortable. And if we're sick, we want to quickly have it go away. And I think so often we miss what God, the very thing that God is trying to teach us in the midst of our suffering. It exposes our, our carnality of this life. The Bible has a whole lot of promises Beyond this life. This 
So he says, just to dwell on these, do not fear what you are about to suffer. So they, they, knew, that, they knew that they were about to suffer something. And Jesus says, don't be afraid about what you're going to suffer. You're going to go through this. And he says, behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. And this isn't prison like the state of California or any prison that we have in the United States. He says, some of you will be cast into prison so that you'll be tested. And you will have tribulation for 10 days. Which is a weird, like, what's up with this? How... How can he, like, is this prophecy that some of them are going to be arrested and then thrown into prison for 10 days and then they're going to get, you know, discharged by the judge? Well, right after that, at that period, I see be faithful unto death, so I know the outcome isn't going to be released. And in my study, it turns out there's a writing by a guy named Hemmer. Um, Somewhere in my notes, Hemmer, H-E-M-E-R, a guy from that era, a historian. That when a criminal or a Christian was thrown into um, the gladiator ring or, or the lion's ring to be devoured by lions, they would be arrested for 10 days. They would be held in the cell for 10 days and at the end of the 10 days, the games would begin and they would go to their death. There, there's a certain death before a gladiator or a lion. We can't imagine this. Like, we can't. But these believers in Smyrna, they were facing arrest, persecution. They've already seen executions. They'd seen all kinds of things. John or I'm sorry, Polycarp, Polycarp, the disciple of John, he eventually would be arrested for these things. He would be asked to recant his statement of Christ, and he wouldn't, and he was burned at the stake, and some extra biblical information, some historical evidence says that as he was like, burned at the stake, or before he was there, when he came to be arrested, he said, the guys that came, he said, can you guys just give me an hour to pray? I'll feed you guys. He fed them. They gave him his hour. You know, I don't know whether it's true, but, but there's historical books that say during this hour, many of the men who came to execute him basically repented and gave their lives to Christ. And then they burned this old man alive at the stake. The, these Christians here, Jesus says, you will be arrested. You will spend 10 days there. You will go to the gladiator ring or to the lions and you will die. Be faithful unto death. I think of how many weddings I've done where it's, you know, you repeat after me, I will be faithful to you until death do we part. And that's the picture that Jesus uses for the church, that we are his bride. He has given his life for us. And we're supposed to give our lives to him. And he says, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, this isn't a crown of thorns. Think of the old Olympic Games. I mean, the old Olympic Games, like this is before TV, like we're going back to the original Olympic Games. They would get like a wreath around their head of a plant. And so it's this athletic crown, not like a crown of a king or a queen. This is uh, one who ran their race, who persevered. And after all of their hard work and tribulation, they stood on the platform and they received this crown. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. This verse has just seized me this week. Exposure of how little I know and we know about true persecution. And as I've thought about the persecuted church, I've done some research. I've gone to sites like Voice of the Martyrs, um, 
Open Doors USA. There, there are statistics and data out there concerning the persecuted church. This is from Open Doors USA. Christians remain one of the most persecuted religious groups in the world. While Christian persecution takes many forms, it is defined as any hostility experienced as a result of identification with Christ. Christians throughout the world continue to risk imprisonment, loss of homes and assets, torture, beheadings, rape, and even death as a result of their faith. Trends show that countries in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East are intensifying the persecution against Christians. And perhaps the most vulnerable are Christian women who often faced double persecution for faith and gender. Every day we receive new reports that Christ, of Christians who face threats, unjust imprisonment, harassment, beatings, and even loss of family because of their faith in Jesus. Every month, 255 Christians are executed. 104 are abducted. 180 Christian women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage. 66 churches are attacked. 160 Christians are detained without trial and imprisoned every month. Today, I told you to, or I asked you to hold your place in Hebrews. And so if you'd go back with me to, to Hebrews and make your way over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, that's good, I still hear pages turning, that's good. In verse 32, we, rem- we read, But remember the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed your sympathy, sympathy to the prisoners. Uh, when we talk about prisoners in the New Testament, we're not talking about like criminals. We're talking about Christians who are under arrest for their faith. It was very different. I'm not saying that prison ministry is bad, but these verses are very different. For you showed your sympathy to, the, to prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you, that knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. And it leads into the great chapter of Hebrews 11, this, the heroes of faith, those that we know, these, these great names. Uh, um, we have Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, going all the way down, we see Rahab. Verse 32, we read, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets by faith who conquer kingdoms, and it goes on and on. And then we come to verse 35, the second way, if you'll follow me there. Or the start of the very beginning. Women received back their dead by resurrection. That means there were wives whose husbands were executed. But by faith, they trust that they'll get their husbands back in the day of resurrection. And others. If you haven't, I'd encourage you to circle others in your Bible. The others, these, these, these is like the church in Smyrna that we're talking about. And others were tortured. 
not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, and they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. That phrase, men of whom the world is not worthy. When I go back to Smyrna, the recipients of this letter, these are saints that the world was not worthy. Great heroes of the faith that gave all to Christ. What do I do with this passage this week? Like, what do we in Southern California that have super blessed lives, like, what do we do with this? And there's something about this passage that brings out my warrior spirit. Um, you know, I always like, yeah, I know I tell SEAL stories, but I was a SEAL for half of my adult life. It's kind of, it's like who I am, and I can't change, I can't change my past. And as I've been thinking about this, this earlier this year, the summer, I, um, I was asked to go down for a buddy his, to be the pastor or the chaplain at his retirement ceremony. And so I went down to Coronado and I hung out with all my old SEAL buddies. And I did the whole chaplain thing and then there's like a party afterwards and so we're all hanging out at the party and it was just like, just was nice to hang out with my old, my old buds, you know. And, and, but the thing I noticed, like while I'm there with them in spirit and when we start chatting... Like, they just see me as one of the guys. But I can tell by hanging out with the SEALs that are active duty today that I have grown exceptionally soft physically. (laughs) I'm a pastor now. And in the last 13 years, our nation and the SEAL teams has been in extreme combat. And I'm telling Anna about this last night, and she's like, yeah, like you're one buddy that has a jewelry in his eyeball. He has jewelry in his eyeball because his eyeball was shot out. And so he has a fake eyeball with a trident in it. And these are my buddies, and I see them, and it's like they are in the throes of combat, and they still are hard. And I'm soft. But in spirit, I'm hard. Like, I'm like... And what do we see from the soldier that we can apply to this? Because throughout the New Testament, the Christian is told to look at the soldier, to look at the farmer, to look at the athlete. And while physically, when it comes to like soldiering, like you can't get away, like you're not going to beat the second law of thermodynamics. Like everything is moving from order to disorder. Like we're all getting old. My joints hurt. I can't, like I can't, be the seal that I was at 22 years old. But as a Christian, you should be growing harder in the Lord. You should be growing more resilient. Your body doesn't matter. It's what's within you. It's with your relationship with Christ that you can continue to improve and grow closer to him and grow harder in the faith. And I'm not using harder in a bad sense, but we should have a resiliency and a closeness to him. You know, we might not be on the front lines here where we are. But I think of our country during World War II. Like, I just wrote a, read a book about the Code Girls. And it was about the Code Breakers during World War II. And, and, and to be reminded about, like, what our country did. Like, those that were back here were sacrificing all so that they could get the effort to the front lines, to the, you know, the quote-unquote boys who were given all over there. So we're not on the front lines, but we can help. Like we have missionaries that we're connected with in, in Africa. And we have a new relationship that, we've, that I can't even share his name, but, the, I think we, but he's in the Middle East. He was evacuated out of Syria you know, we always, like, Joe, es- Joe and Esther Wagnell and Lindsey Gray, like, we read and see reports of them all the time. Like, Lindsey, she, for VBS, she made a little video, and she's like, she's like, I'm making muffins with the kids. Like, she's talking, it was so, so cool. 
And she's like, I'm just going to throw in some chocolate chips and some walnuts. And, oh, yeah, tomorrow I have a flight to Sudan, and I'll be there for a couple days, and I'll come back, and I'll fly into Sudan. Do you want to know what country is number four on the persecution list for Christians? Let me, I just gave you a clue. Sudan. And so we have a female young pilot who's flying missions into Sudan to bring relief to the churches that we're partnered with. And so we pray for our missionaries. We give to our missionaries. You can befriend some of our missionaries on social media and encourage them. And really, not just like, I'm going to pray for you, but really pray. Like, really pray. Because when the Bible talks about the church, it doesn't talk about individuals. The church is second person plural, y'all, as they say in the South, or I've been told that they say in the South. It actually exists in the Greek second person plural in that y'all, we all are a part of them. They are a part of our body. And does it break your heart when you hear there's a pastor that's under arrest in Iran that's facing death because he's simply a Christian? It should. And so I'd encourage you all to continue praying, to continue supporting and encouraging however you can to those that are in these parts of the world to, to work on a heart of gratitude like Christians complained about the silliest stuff in the United States we joke oh persecution is that they're trying to take away our tax exemption status when we give the Bible doesn't say to give because of your tax exemption status and I'm not trying to like we have a, like persecution is when they want to kill you Persecution is when they want to arrest you. Persecution is, they say, if you go to church today, we are going to arrest you when you come out. We don't know this. We have one verse to go, verse 11, but before we go there, I want to read 2 Timothy chapter 2. And then we're going to end with communion. So if you turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy To give us some context, Paul is under arrest, not house arrest anymore. This is the last letter of Paul. It very much is his his last will and testament. He would be executed following this letter, and so he pens a letter to his young disciple Timothy, who would be... uh, taking over or would be presently at the church in Ephesus leading the church and, and would be leading other men. And so this, these verses, I just want us to listen to them and the intensity in Paul's voice and what he shares with young Timothy. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to be, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of those things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself to God as a workman 
who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. I'm going to ask the men who are coming up to distribute the elements for communion to come forward. And you guys can go ahead and just distribute them. As the elements are coming out, Paul says that if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master who prepared, prepared for every good work. And so I would encourage you all as you're receiving the elements just to take some time with the Lord to confess sin, to allow him to help you to grow in your faith, and then we'll cover the last verse. Verse 11 reads, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And so in the midst of today's passage, there's, there's, there's great encouragement. Remember the outline, uh, verse 8, that Jesus is bigger than death. And so when we read, he who overcomes, this is a theme throughout all of the seven churches. If we were to read 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, we would see that the overcomer is the one who places their faith, their trust into the risen Christ, that we're told that they are overcomers, that we in Christ have overcome death. Verse 9's theme is that Jesus knows his people in their suffering. Jesus suffered more than we could ever possibly imagine. I mean, we hold a cracker and juice, reflecting upon his broken body and his blood that was shed for us. There is no suffering that you're going through that is greater than his, and yet he says, I am here for you, I understand I know that the context of today's passage is extreme persecution, but we all have suffering, we all have anguish, we all have trials. For in Christ, there's a promise of suffering, there is a promise of conflict. And so Jesus stands here with his hand on our shoulder saying, don't be afraid, I'm with you. We are here for you as a church. I don't, I don't know if I saw Glenn today, but I know that you know Jackie and Glenn and whoever up here are willing to pray for you if you need prayer. But we have the promise of God that he will help us through our suffering. In verse 10, Jesus calls his people to be faithful unto death. Um, as we take the cup, we're not going to do it right now, but when, I, when a young groom was going to propose to a lady and the whole engagement was set that you know the 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 rumor or the the history not rumor this the history was is that he would go he would say hey will you be my bride and he would offer a glass of wine and he says this glass is symbolic of of my life that i'm going to give you everything i'm going to go and i'm going to prepare a place for us to live as christ said i'm going to go and prepare a place for us in john 14 but often what's overlooked is that when the house was completed and she came, when he came back, 
by accepting the cup, not only do you accept the gift, but that you're returning the gift in exchange. And so as we take communion today, we're reminded of what Jesus did for us, but I also think there's a, a, a place for us to reevaluate our commitment to him. Have you been uh, cheating on God? Uh, James talks about you adulteresses. Harsh language. And so Jesus calls us, don't be afraid. Be faithful unto death. Walk with him all the days of your life and we need his help. And here we read, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. It was D.L. Moody that said, he who is born once will die twice and he that is born twice will die once and doesn't have to fear the second death. And what that means is if you are born physically, once you place your faith in Christ, as John 3 describes, that you're born again, the second birth. And if you've been born again, if you've received the Spirit of God for salvation, then when you die physically, you don't have to worry about die, death. You, you, You enter into his presence. But if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the Scripture makes it clear And we'll see in Revelation chapter 20 that there's a place of second judgment where you'll be cast and you'll be transferred after death from jail into prison. We'll talk about it more later. But if you have Christ, you don't have to fear death. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And so, Father, we do thank you for the comfort that is available to us in Christ. Father, when I look at the church in Smyrna, I'm forced to examine my own life and my own commitment to you. And Father, I ask that you would help each of us to strengthen our grip uh, of the relationship that we have with you. May we place you as a priority. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have suffering to the magnitude of this persecution. We don't take it lightly. But Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us. For in any moment, we could find ourselves in a situation where we could be challenged to deny you, that our life could act in a way that's not becoming to you. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to live our lives in a manner that's worthy of our calling. We thank you that Jesus died for us, that he absorbed the wrath that was due us totally and completely. And in him, we stand cleansed to our innermost being, that our consciences are clear. We thank you for the blood that was shed for us, this new covenant, that your sacrifice on the cross was once and for all. Father, we ask that you would help us to live for you in a boldly way that we would go about sharing the gospel as you have commissioned us to. We love you, Father, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.